0: want to talk about the third uh, uh, invite. Because these are four invites that Jesus gives us that guarantee our influence. If you say yes to these invites, you will live out the influence you are created for. Because none of us was created to be local. None of you was created to be local. You were created to have global impact. That's why Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. He, he wasn't just making up a big word. <laughs> he actually intended for you to make disciples of nations. That means your life should impact much bigger than your locality. And we're saying these are the four invites that help you begin to become that person of influence. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. We're going to read a scripture that shows us what the third invite That is for every single one of us is mark chapter 8 verse 34 to 38 and here is what it says then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said can you guys read from the back are you able to read it let's read it together whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me verse 35 For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You know, the book of Mark, it outlines for us some very significant things uh, that Jesus does with these disciples as he leads them into influence as he makes them global influencers. And as we saw, he invited them to a life of faith. And then last week, we saw he invited them to a life of, uh, of family. But today, as, things, as they accepted these invites and became part of his family, he now raised the bar. Once he had been working with them in family for a while, they had trusted each other, they knew who he was, they were close. He now raised the bar. He said something to them he had never said before. And he invited them to the next level. He said to them that they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. What do these things mean? Very simply, to deny yourself. To deny yourself means to let go of control over every aspect of your life. You know, as human beings, we like to be in control. We like to feel like I can determine the outcome. But you know, it's a fiction. There's nobody who's in control of their life we're not even con- in control of the next br- breath we breathe after this. Like, it's such a lie to think you're in control. And Jesus is saying, let go of the lie. Deny yourself. Understand you're not in control. You cannot even determine what happens two minutes from now. Let alone tomorrow. <laughs> so stop pretending. Stop trying to actually be in control. Because you're not. You're not, your you're not in control of your marriage. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I, I know. You thought you, thought. you can't. By the way, let me just say this and save someone's marriage here. You cannot control that man. It doesn't matter. You can't. It's such a sad thing. By the way, when I realized I can't control my wife, I, I felt very sad. I know I, it sounds bad, but the reality is all of us marry somebody thinking we like the nice things we see, but the ones we don't like we can change. I'll work on this one. And the biggest frustration in marriage is when you realize, actually, I cannot change this person. Those annoying habits they have They, will, they might always have them <laughs> And it's such a shock Because many people get disillusioned. It's like oh my god pastor we are incompatible I don't even understand this person I'm like Kwonny what did you think when you married them You were incompatible when you married them They are not two human beings that are compatible Yeah You can't change you, the sad, In fact the most humbling thing For those of you with young children you don't get this You can't even change your children You can train them but then at that point you start by the way when you when your kids become teenagers, you become a prayer warrior. Pastor Jade, am I uh-huh. ask people who have kids who are a little older? The ones who have when my kids were young, I was an expert parent. I used to see people's kids misbehaving and just think, I surely. I would you find a class here parenting? I can recommend a class to help your children. <laughs> Why are you failing here? You know. Hey, your kids become teenagers, you're like, hey, Jade, hold for They show you things and you're like, only God can save my children. You know, you can't even, you can't even change your children. And so Jesus says, the first thing you do is surrender. Let it go. Stop pretending you're in charge. Let that go. And then he says, the next thing he says is that you take up your cross. Now, taking up your cross has to do with embracing God's plan for your life. So surrender means I give up my plan. My career plan is a lie. I don't even know if I'll be there next, next week. I don't even know what the economy will look like. My whole company could be outdated by next week. I, don't, I cannot be in control. And so number two, take up my cross. Take up my plan. Take up God's plan for you. Because that's the only thing that is certain. Jesus says, take up your cross. If surrender is about giving up, taking up your cross is about receiving. Receiving another way, God's way. And this is when you become like Jesus who says, Father, I may not want to suffer. I may not want to go through the direction where you've led me. But because I see you're leading me that way, let not my will but yours be done. By the way, that's the most beautiful thing. When you get to that place, even in your marriage, I don't know why I'm talking to married people today. <laughs> even in your, when you get to that place, when you just get to a place where you say, Lord, I can't change this woman, but you've told me to stay married to her. So let not my will but yours be done. You're the one who chose our, you help. you're the one, because the Bible says what God has put together, which means you allowed us to come together. And so from today, Lord, I've stopped trying to change this person. I'm going to just accept the person you gave me. And I'm going to stop trying to change them. I'll start ch- praying you change me. Because clearly there's a problem I have. <laughs> because I'm not accepting the person you gave me. Can you see? Because that's a change. Many people don't stay married because they give up. They, they think, I can't change this one. So let me go look for another one that I can change. What a shock. <laughs> you get married to the next one and you find it's like you left on four. You gave up at four and you went back to nursery school. <laughs> And you will still get to that point and realize, oh my God, the problem was not the other one; it was me. That something has to change in me. And so Jesus says, "Give it up. Take up my cross. Take up my will." And then the last thing He says is, "Follow me." Following has to do with obedience. Now Jesus says, "Follow me" a lot of times in the scriptures. When in Mark one seventeen, we read that a couple of weeks ago, He says to the disciples, "Follow me," and I will make you fishers of men. And then He later on in Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, He calls a tax collector this guy called Matthew who is collecting taxes he's just there he's a corrupt KRA official okay what is JRA Jerusalem <laughs> Revenue Authority he, he's a corrupt guy and Jesus sees him and says follow me and the Bible says the man closed his practice and he followed Jesus immediately and then you read again later and you find that Matthew 19:21, he says to the rich young ruler go sell what you possess give to the poor you'll have treasure in heaven come and follow me And then again, he speaks to people in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says to his disciples, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John 10, 27, again, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Wow. This following thing was obviously very important to Jesus. He talks about following a lot. Where is this? What is this? What does it mean? What is Jesus asking people to do? Is he saying, as I'm walking, just walk behind me? Uh, what, what, what is he saying when he says, follow me? You know, it's very interesting because we can see that for, for the disciples, it actually literally meant that they follow him. That where he walks, they walk. But Jesus was saying that to everybody. Which means it's not just about the physical following like the disciples at that time, but there's something much bigger. You see, Jesus had come to create and to start a world-changing movement. When you become a Christian, you're actually joining Jesus's plan to be part of a world-changing movement. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to bring a religion. The world has enough religions. <laughs> Jesus wasn't interested in giving you a religion. Jesus came to bring a world-changing movement. And he knew he needed people that he would leave behind. He had three years on earth to accomplish this, to, to, to start a world-changing movement. And so he knew that his task was to raise people who think like him, who a process like him, who are motivated like him, and he knew that that's all he needed to do. He needed to get people to become like him. So that when he left, the work would continue being done. And that was his goal in life. It was to raise followers. The, the word for follower is actually a Greek word. And it means, uh, the, the word disciple is actually a Greek word, and it means a follower. A follower, somebody who follows. By the way, this word disciple it's very interesting that the, the, this word for follower. it's not a word that was a spiritual word when we hear disciple nowadays we think of it as a christian word it wasn't a christian it wasn't a jewish word it was actually a secular word it was actually a greek word because the word and the term and the reference actually came from the greek culture in the greek culture this process was very refined what a culture, I tell you. <laughs> and, and there's a guy called Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, who wrote a book called God's Glorious Church. He talks about this. He says, you know, back in the day, in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was the power of the day. Everybody was ruled by the Roman Empire. They, there's nowhere where, like in, in most of the world, that the Romans did not rule. But it was interesting that even though they ruled, the culture was not a Roman culture. It was a Greek culture. People did not speak the Roman language. The Roman language was Latin. But the world spoke the Greek language. Even though the Romans had even conquered the Greeks, the Roman culture was never, I mean, the Roman culture was never what was predominant. Everywhere they ruled, the culture that was predominant was the Greek culture. And Pastor Tony Evans says, why do you think this was? It's because the Greeks understood this term, discipleship. So there's a man called Socrates. And Socrates was a a great philosopher. And what he did is he got some disciples, he got some sharp young people, and he got them to stay with him. And they hung out and they sat at his feet. And he taught them everything he knew. They walked with him, they stayed with him, he hung out with them, and he changed their way of thinking. And one of those men who was changed was called Plato. Okay, at least you've had a few of these names. So Plato was also a disciple. And when he was disciple, he began what is called, once when, when Socrates passed, he was so much like Socrates, he became a leader, like his leader. And he began what is called the platonic school of thought. And he also was a very influential thinker, just like his leader before him. And he got some people around him, some young men, and he began to train them. And he trained them and they also began to really understand this way of thought. And one of the young men he disciples was, was called Aristotle, another famous name that you might have heard. And Aristotle also became, in, after Plato was dead, became a leader in terms of philosophy. And he also gathered people around him and began to train them. And he knew that his job was to train them to think like him. And so Aristotle became very popular. He even started schools uh, called Aristotelian schools. One of the people that he discipled was called Alexander. A young boy who later became Alexander the Great. And this man actually took over the whole world. He ruled the whole world. By the way, by, they say by 32, the man was crying because there were no other places to conquer. Uh, the guy had become so, so, so good that anywhere he went... By the way, at the, the first talk of the gathering, I give a bit of background to this man called Alexander. It's an incredible history. I don't have time to go into it. But this man was... Because he had been so mentored, everywhere he went, he, he actually uh, pushed this Alexandrian way of thinking. So that you're going to find in many parts of the world, there were cities called Alexandria. When he conquered Egypt, he formed a city called Alexandria, and he was and those were centers of thought, and they were Aristotelian thought, the thought that he had been taught by his leader, by his disciple, and Aristotle became the most influential person because of his disciple Alexander. So even though the Romans ruled for hundreds of years, all those hundreds of years, the culture that remained was the Greek culture. It didn't matter. Yeah, what a culture. It didn't matter and I don't even know if you know this but even today our, our format of education is actually formatted by the Greek culture the way that we do classrooms the way we teach was actually shaped by the Greek culture and it was shaped by disciple making the Romans as powerful as they were they could not exterminate this way of thought they tried but they could did you even know that by the way that the New Testament was not written in Hebrew the language of the Jews it was written in Greek this was many years. The Romans were the ones leading, but he didn't write in the Roman language or the Greek or the Jewish language. He, it was written, the people who wrote it, wrote it in Greek because that was the prevailing culture. That's the power of following. And you know, this model of discipleship is what Jesus was referring to when he said to his disciples, follow me. This was a culture that people knew. The, Hebrews, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they understood this culture. This is what the rabbis of Jesus did. Uh, they did as well. This was an invitation to the disciples to walk with him to follow his teaching, to follow his way of life, to imitate him so much that when he left, it would be like he had never left. The teacher would still be alive through the people that he left behind. In fact, it was so interesting. The scriptures tell us when Jesus had gone, after he had died, and it it had been a long time, that his disciples were summoned by the Jewish leaders. And the Bible tells us in Acts 4.13, when they, the council, saw the courage of peter and john and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with jesus oh come on somebody it's like you're seeing these guys you listening to them you're like ah uh-uh, these guys they, there's no way they're not that educated their background is not that distinguished why are they talking with such eloquence what is it about them and these guys remembered we know a guy who talked like this that was jesus that was a success of Jesus' model. That by the time he went, there were people who thought like him, who talked like him, who, repre- who had the courage that he had, who confronted the way he did. And these leaders say, this one has been with Jesus. Are you seeing it right now? Are you beginning to understand what this follow, th- follow me thing, why it's so important to Jesus? Are you understanding? Amen. Paul, another follower of Jesus. Now, this was after Jesus had gone. And Paul, he began to raise his own disciples. And to do the same thing that Jesus had done. The thing that he saw Jesus doing. And he, he proceeded to expound and articulate Jesus' thoughts. And he spoke to his disciples in a city called Corinth. He started a church in a place called Corinth where his disciples were. And in First Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says to them, Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. I think now you're beginning to understand what that scripture means. He's like, the same way you saw me following, now it's your turn to follow me. Follow the example that you see. And he says, I'm following Jesus, but I need you to follow my example. Another version, New Living Translation puts it this way. You should imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, he continues to say again, I urge you, be imitators of me. What? He's like, guys, you don't understand. I need you to imitate me. I need your life to be like mine. I need you to follow me. I mean, those are very interesting things to say. In a city called Philippi, he wrote another scripture uh, called the book of Philippians. And in Philippians 4, verse 9, he says, You know the teachings I gave you, you know what you heard me say, and saw so me do. So follow my example. Just like Jesus had been keen to help people follow, Paul was doing the same thing he had seen his leader doing. And he's saying, Follow my example. Now, for us, because we know that Paul wrote scripture, we know he was an apostle. Of course, we have no problem listening to this. It makes sense. Paul was the great apostle. Paul. What you need to realize is to the people of his day, he was just Paul. And it would have been more kosher or more something that would make more sense, you would imagine, for him to say, I urge you to follow Jesus. That would have been because people knew who Jesus was. But it's like, who, you're, you're a new guy who's come to a town, you're telling us to follow you. Like, like, tell us to follow Jesus. Or he should have at least said, Follow Peter. Who was with Jesus? Like, Peter at least saw these things I'm teaching you live. So at least follow Peter. But Paul doesn't say this. He says a very radical thing. He says, imitate me, follow me. And somebody could even ask, isn't this how cults are started? <laughs> I mean, surely, who are you to come and tell us, come into our city, and then tell us to imitate your life? Are you, I mean, what kind of person does that? You don't do that. I don't know if the, uh, if, if, people actually struggled with what Paul was saying. Because Paul was saying, imitate my life. Live like me. Observe me. Follow God the way I do. Model your life on how you see me live. And then, as if it's not even radical enough, Paul even goes a step farther. Because in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says to the church in Philippi, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And then he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he's not even saying imitate me at this point. He's even moved further. He's saying imitate me and then imitate the ones you're, who are imitating me. He's, he's taking it to the next level. He's even saying imitate my disciples. Imitate the ones who are becoming like me. And here Paul is, he seems to be so brazen. It's like wow. Seriously the courage. How would you tell people to. No, It's not even you anymore now. It's like people who are following me in your church. I want you to follow them. That's what Paul is saying. It's pretty radical. So allow me to say this. But the goal of following Jesus and the goal of discipleship is always to become like Jesus. There is no question about that. What God wants is for you to become like Jesus. That's why you are in church today. You're not in church so that you can be entertained. By the way, it's more entertaining to sleep on a Sunday morning. Anybody know that? It's more entertaining to have breakfast in in bed after a long week. And watch cartoons or watch whatever and just enjoy your life, you know. The reason you're here is because you want to be like Jesus. That's what the church exists for. That's what the whole purpose of the Christian faith, to help you become like Jesus. We have only one Savior. We have only one Lord. And all our efforts must be to help everybody grow to become like Jesus. However, both Paul and Jesus gave the invitation of following because becoming like Christ will not be accomplished merely by theoretical teachings. You will not become like Jesus just because I tell you to become like jesus the reality is that becoming like jesus is more caught than taught okay i don't think you guys heard me following jesus is more caught than taught the bible has teachings on let me give you examples on marriage and relationships you should be able to handle your relationship simply by just reading the bible and it's truth. That is the truth for us. Everything the Bible says, by the way, about marriage and about relationships, if you follow it, you are guaranteed that you will have a godly relationship. That's what. That's what the, you just follow this, this teaching of the scripture. You are guaranteed you will have a godly relationship. But it's one thing when you read the teachings on marriage, it's a very different thing when you see those teachings being applied in the life of somebody who is in your life. Not just somebody telling you, thou must love your wife. When you see Pastor Des loving his wife, it's it's different from just reading it in the scripture. Because it becomes very practical. You say, ah, that's what the word meant. The way he listens. The way he seems to be kind. The way when he's he's annoyed, he still treats with respect and honor. Ah, that's what Jesus meant. The way he buys flowers for... (laughs) Come on, Pastor Des. The way he buys flowers. I hope he actually buys flowers. Oh, there's a garden. <laughs> okay, the way he planted flowers. <laughs> you know, as you follow closely, as you watch their marriage, as you see them talk to each other, you begin to actually understand the spirit of the word. You begin to understand, oh, that's what this means to love your wife. That's, that's the most eloquent sermon you'll ever hear is seeing Christ's likeness in the life of someone else. It's much, it's a powerful, it's a loud word when you see it. You begin to watch this person and you get answers like, how do I navigate a two-career marriage? Because the Bible may not give you the detail. It just tells you love your wife. How do I love my wife when we both have two important careers? How do I love my wife when we are in a season of prolonged conflict? Okay, single people, I'm sorry to dash your your hearts. You're not understanding. (laughs) You're like, how are these people in co- conflict? Me, I'll never be in conflict. The one I love, we will just love each other and we'll just be looking at each other and drinking love. Aha, uh-huh. it's because you're not married that you think that. The married people are not even, lo- they're not even laughing, by the way. They're looking, at, they're looking very serious because they understand the reality of this thing. <laughs> it's a serious thing. You, you think that you'll always laugh because she's so beautiful. Let me tell you, my friend. What is a conflict? conflict? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Amen. Yeah, they're humble. They, they, by the way, the married ones are humble. <laughs> they're very humble, by the way. They're not laughing at this. Very, they know exactly what I'm talking about. How, how do we navigate in-laws and the conflict that different families of origin bring to our marriage? How, how do we manage money? Your money, my money. How do we marry those monies? And many couples struggle because it's like they know they should love their wife, but practically, how do I do it? And I can tell you that for my wife and I, the way we learned all those principles was by being in the presence of people who are practicing them. Yeah. We were so fortunate when we got married that we had older Christian couples around us. And they were living in this way. And as we watched them, we were like, ah, that's what it means. That's what it means. They have a joint account. How does a joint account even work? Surely. I'll give you their numbers. You don't need them. They're here. They're around you. Yeah. These ones have... To look at Don't, don't all the ones around you. They have, this, they have the answers. Yeah, how do, you, how do you struggle with in-laws? And we saw them dealing with honoring their in-laws. One of the things I learned is when I honor my in-laws, I'm the one who does it. In other words, whenever there's a gift to be given from our family, it's never my wife who gives her parents. It's always me. Hey, I've just saved someone's marriage. And that's how we keep politics, by the way, from happening. Eh? It's because they don't think that I've brought, their son has brought money to their house. Ah, uh-uh. this is not their son's money. This is ours. So when it's my parents, it's her who gives my parents. How did we learn that? It's not written in the Bible. <laughs> but as we saw those mentors of ours doing it, we we're like, ah, this is what it means to honor your parents. Because we saw the sermon lived out in the life of our disciples. This is the power of following somebody. In business and in work life, it's the same thing. You know, the scripture has very useful principles about how to run a business, how to run it uh, the way God wants you to run it. But it's very different from just knowing the principles and seeing an older believer or somebody who's in the marketplace run a business without corruption. How do you do it? You work and you, you don't bribe. to get. How do you do it? And I can tell you, we learned a few tricks. One of the things that we learned when we had, because one of the businesses we do is hospitality. And one of our mentors told us, you're going to be in trouble because in this industry, people have to bribe procurement officers if you want to see companies come to your business. And we asked, so how do we do it? And then he taught us. Okay, now you're waiting for that secret. <laughs> we were mentored. And he taught us how to obey the scriptures and not to, not to bribe and still get business. So one of the things he had done in his own hotel, he had built a really nice presidential suite. A very nice one and he said i don't charge extra for this one but when i have a team from a corporate i always put the ceo in that one and he says after that even if the procurement officer says we're going here next he says ah why aren't we going where we went he said treat the person so well they will never not want to go anywhere else in fact they're the ones who are saying next year when we go to our retreat we're going back where we were and it worked without bribing we got business repeat business that's not in the scripture by the way I would never have known that unless there was somebody discipling me, teaching me to think like Christ in the marketplace. That's what it means to be disciple, to follow someone. And no wonder Paul then says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's how we grow as a Christian. And here's the radical thing I'm leading to. And it's a thing I'm hoping you will not miss today. The radical thing about becoming a disciple of Jesus is the way we learn to follow Jesus is through following somebody who is following Jesus. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it has always traditionally been in the scripture. We follow Jesus by following another person who is following Jesus. The scriptures teach that. And that's the way the Hebrews thought. The very essence of discipleship is about each one following Christ, then teaching others to follow after us as we follow Christ. Making disciples is not just a Bible study with somebody, even though it might involve it. It's not just taking someone through a powerful 10-week program. And in this church, we have some powerful 10-week programs. It's not about that. It's not just about that. It's not even about listening to sermons every day because there are some powerful sermons you listen to online. It's not even about that. There's only so much you can learn from a preacher that will help you break it down practically. It doesn't matter how authentic your preacher is, that will help you actually break down the scripture in your particular situation. At the heart of discipleship is the same invitation that Jesus made to his disciples. The invitation to follow. The invitation to invite people to be part of your life so they can imitate you, imitate your obedience to God and how you live in every aspect of your life. Discipleship is not, let's meet for Bible study. Discipleship is, I'm going to my farm. Come with me. Is, uh, we're, we're, we're having family night with my kids. Come and sit with us. Let's have dinner. Or, or, or I'm going to visit someone in hospital, take me. That, that's it's like, let's do life together. And as we do it, you will see how I live out scripture. So you can also follow me as I follow Christ. People need to understand their, their careers, their finances, their entertainment, their marriage, their political engagement. Not just from reading the scripture, but from seeing how another believer applies that in their own life. And many of us, unfortunately, we've grown up with a very individualistic faith. That is about me and jesus it's an it's i say unfortunate because even i grew up in a faith that was very individualistic it's about so long as i'm praying so long as i'm going to church so long as i've memorized scripture so long as i'm good with god then i'm fine it's become vogue nowadays for people to say i'm a christian i just don't believe in the church i have a personal in fact we used to say that when you're my jesus is my personal savior in other words it has nothing to do with the rest of you it's a very individualistic, it's not just individual, it's individualistic, the decision to follow Jesus. However, just like you cannot parent or bring yourself up in the biological world, so in the spiritual realm, you cannot parent yourself. You need to be brought up by somebody else, another human being, in order to become everything God desired you to be. I'm shouting. <laughs> yeah, Many of us, by the way, we, we, we coast in our Christian life. And we, 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 we get stuck because we don't understand that God has put people in our lives to help us become like him. This is how we do it, that we follow Jesus by following somebody who is following Jesus. Now, I understand, this invitation to ask you to invite people into your life to follow you can sound very daunting. Because for many people, they're like, I'm still working, I still have issues. My life is not perfect. I have so many issues in my life. Asking someone else to follow me, um, that just sounds like like I have to pretend because I don't have my act together. But here's the thing. What I'm saying is you don't have to be perfect to ask someone to follow you. Fortunately, Jesus was perfect. But we all know Paul was not perfect. He had major issues. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm such a bad guy. I persecuted the church. I'm the last guy who should be called an apostle. But still... God used him. So I thank God that God isn't looking for perfection. He's just looking for hearts that are eager and sincere and desiring to grow in him. That's all it takes for you to qualify qualify to invite people to follow you. It's interesting. Paul himself said in Romans chapter 7, I have discovered this principle of life. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Ish. Like he's saying, I don't have the capacity to do right i've I've discovered this i love god's law with all my heart but there's another power within me this power makes me a slave to sin that's he. he actually was confessing his issues and he's saying when i try to do the right thing i always find that i end up doing the wrong thing so he's confessing he's saying guys i'm not perfect i've got major issues i've got problems but the interesting thing he says in verse 24 he says what a miserable person i am Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then verse 25, it says, let's read it together. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's his, he he comes to a place where he just says, guys, what will help me? I'm in such trouble. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me. Oh, come on, somebody. You don't have to be perfect. All you have to have is a perfect God. Yeah. If you know God and you know he's helping you slowly become like him, then you can share with other people. You don't have to be perfect to lead others. God just wants me to be sincere. And, and you know, it's interesting because what he wants us to do is just submit our lives to him so that people can watch us and see how we live following him. Including the messes, by the way. Including the challenges. Uh, many times when I preach, I usually start by sharing how I struggle with the scripture myself. And part of the reason I do that is just to show, by the way, I don't preach because I'm more qualified than you. <laughs> I preach because God has asked me to preach. But I got issues too. I struggle. I have faith. I have doubts in my faith. I'm imperfect. But somehow Paul says, "Thanks be to God." When I follow a perfect God, God helps me to be able to represent the perfect God through an imperfect person. That's the way it is. You know, it's interesting because this perfection lie is one that has been sold to Christians for centuries. That thing of, "You know what? You have to be perfect. You Kwanza, you know how you talk to people in the office. You Kwanza, you know your marriage has issues." They're asking you to come and lead who in church. And you know the issues. You know what you told your wife last night. That's how the devil talks, by the way, to Christians. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know the, the shortcut you took in your business. The devil likes to amplify and shout your message to make you feel intimidated to follow. And so you, to, to lead. So you end up saying, you know what, I can't. me, I can't help people because I got issues. But here's the thing I've come to understand. That when I submit myself to God... And I start to lead others. Actually, that's the thing that even helps me grow. Let me give you an example. If, for instance, you go to another country and God promotes you and gives you a phenomenal job in Europe. One person said amen. So bless God that somebody will get a promotion and go to Europe. So, so, so God gives you this promotion and now you're in Brussels or you are in, you're in Amsterdam or you're in London and you've got this incredible space. And then in that place, you discover there's a, phenomen, a great opportunity for you to teach people Swahili. There's huge demand and nobody knows Swahili and there's massive money to be made. And so you say, okay, may I speak some Swahili? How many of you guys by the way are very, very seriously fluent in Swahili in this church? Let me just see show of hands. Yeah, Debbie at least at the back. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, Jones, you just put on your hand there. Yeah. Uh, Paul, you're very fluent. You can teach easily. Fantastic. Three of us. But if you had that there's a job paying you five thousand dollars an hour to teach, how many people would teach would say, I know Swahili? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, I can teach. Me, I know some. I can teach Swahili, surely. What is hard about teaching Swahili? $5,000, I can teach. Uh, Written and spoken. I'll do all of them. Plus, even the things... And you know what you're going to do after that? You will actually now take on the course, and then you will start studying harder. And you'll be waking up saying, this thing I missed in class, what was this thing? What did it mean? And then you'll stand up looking like you really understand, you know. Because what it will do, it will force you to become good in that thing. Isn't it? And by the way, you do this for a year. After some point, guys will meet you and they'll be like, "Ah, I didn't know you could speak Swahili. You say, even me, I didn't know. <laughs> but $5,000 an hour later, I discovered I can. Yeah, you would teach it. And it's the same thing. When you start to teach another person how to follow Jesus, guess what happens? You have to start up. You, you have to now start waking. Now I didn't used to pray, but now I have to teach you how to pray every morning. Uh-uh, I'm waking up at 4.30 to pray. Because now it's no longer about myself. It's about I have to teach somebody else. And when you realize, my goodness, I don't know any scripture. I'm going to start reading the scripture for myself much more now. Because when I'm reading it, I'm understanding that, hey, I need to be able to pass this on to somebody else. And there's nothing more, more sharp to your mind than when you know you have to teach somebody what you're reading. Yeah. Let me, you will stay there until you understand. what. Even when you, before you just say, ah, I don't understand. Aha. Uh-huh. You will even go online to ask, what does this verse mean? And you will find out and you will teach it. Yeah because you're motivated because there's somebody that you're teaching this is a power this is why the perfection lie is such a such a bad lie it keeps us in bondage it keeps us from growing in our faith and sometimes we don't understand the only thing that will help you grow is to tell somebody else follow me as i follow christ so i hope somebody's ready to begin yeah 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 $5000 an hour is nothing what we're talking about now is eternal fruitfulness Hearing your master say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Ah, that's what's at stake. It's much more important than $5,000 an hour. It's a big thing. It's your whole life, the significance of why you're created. Surely, why would the devil keep you away from that by giving you a lie and telling you you cannot, you're not qualified to teach someone else? We follow Jesus by following someone who is following Jesus. Now, I'll give a caution here. Because sometimes people say, the danger of following another human being is because human beings are flawed And that's how cults start And it's true When you just follow somebody blindly And they say follow me And you start following some church leader That's how people start starving themselves Waiting for Jesus to come back And I don't know how they are, they are taught to believe That when they starve themselves and they die The first thing they'll see is Jesus and, they st- <laughs> and they're told not to go to hospital We've seen this in our country haven't we So I think that's a big thing that makes people be very wary. It's like I can't follow somebody else Let me follow Jesus myself but I want to put to you something that Paul says that I believe acts as the best safeguard to this principle of discipleship. And he says this to his disciples. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 11, 1, I'm going to read the same scripture I read earlier. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's very easy to hear the follow my example, but you need to hear the second part of this statement. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, the minute I stop following the example of Christ, you need to stop following. You need to be able to understand yourself and be able to say, "Ah, what you're saying is not consistent with the word of God. And you need to be able to study the scripture for yourself. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why it's so important. We at Mavuno Church, we go through the scripture reading. And every year, as long as I've led Mavuno Church, we've read through the Bible as a church. And it's because I want you to be able to get to the place where you're able to study the scripture for yourself and ask the questions and get to a place where you say, uh-uh, here, I disagree. And at that point, if I'm leading you into error, you need to be able to say, I'm out. Because you're, not long, you're no longer following Christ. And so there's actually a, a strong caveat in scripture where Paul says, here's the boundary of following. Follow. Don't stop following because of the danger. But understand the guardrails. That will keep you sober is that follow the person that is discipling you as they follow christ now i want to bring this to a close by asking you two questions question number one who are you following as they follow christ who is your discipler who is the person who's discipling you right now who is the person you would say um, folk i'm watching their life and i'm growing who's the person you'd say, I believe God has given this person spiritual responsibility over my life and they pray for me. And the question that goes with that is, do they know that you see them this way? Who is your disciple? And do they know? Because you could be saying, oh, it's Pastor Sir, And, and if you ask Pastor Søren, they'd be like, ah, here, my disciples are these ones. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. I never even knew they thought of me as their disciple, their disciple. Who is your disciple? And do they know? And then question number two, who is following you as you follow Christ? Who's the person whose life is being shaped as they become like you? Who's the person who, whose life is being molded as you pray for them, as you challenge them, as you invite them and encourage them? Who's that person who's becoming like you as, they, as you become like Jesus? And along with that question is, do they know that that's who you see them as? Because maybe you think that they're your disciple and be, if they ask they'll be like "Ah, huh? <laughs> we're just friends <laughs> we're just friends never been so who's who are you who's your discipler and who are you discipling guys this invitation is a powerful invitation i believe it's an invitation that will shift shift your life as you begin to understand it that the church is meant to be a family but it's also meant to be a place of invitation into following. And one of the things I believe that has kept the East African church from having the impact globally that it was meant to have is because we have taught a very individualistic faith. Come to church, listen to your preacher, and go home. That was never Jesus' model. That was never his intention. We follow Jesus by following somebody who is following Jesus. Amen? I'm going to ask us to do a thing real quick. Um, and then I'll just say one last thing before I conclude. I want you to actually turn to your neighbor. I know the churches and turn to your neighbor. This thing is getting old, but yeah, it's just the only way we can have horizontal community. You know, like I said, Jesus doesn't just want us to hear the preacher only. I want you to ask your neighbor, what's one thing you've learned or understood or heard God say from this message? Could you just take a moment? What's one thing that you sense God could have said through this message? Just one, one thing. And then allow them to also tell you. What is one thing <laughs> that they heard God say? What do you think? What, what's one thing you've heard that God could be saying through this message? one thing you don't have to give them a whole essay (laughs) it's one thing that you had God say through this message bless the Lord thank you Jesus amen we're gonna we're going to continue this conversation so don't rush off after church I want you to carry on from where you've stopped But I want to pray for us and as I pray, I really want to pray for us as we respond to this message and I want to pray for two groups of people. I want to pray for people right now who maybe you've never joined a discipleship group. At Mavuno we have discipleship groups, that's what they're for. It's a space where you follow someone as they follow Jesus. A place where somebody actually has responsibility over you spiritually and helps you grow to become everything God wants you to be. And maybe today for the first time you've understood, I see what the life group, that the discipleship group is about. And I'd like to be part of a discipleship group. So I'd like to pray for you if you're there and you're saying, yeah, I think I'm ready. I'd like to join a group like that. We talked about them last week, but I would really want to pray for people who are joining discipleship groups. But also maybe there's somebody here who's never given your life to Jesus. I never take that for granted. We're in church, but maybe you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. And you've never understood why you should. (laughs) Maybe for you, this is something you saw your parents do. Or you went to church. You've always been a good church goer. But you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never been a follower of Jesus. And today for the first time you've understood, oh my goodness, Jesus is calling me to follow. It's not just to believe in my mind. But he wants me to be a follower. To become like him. And to have the same impact he had. And I'd like to pray for that group of people as well. If you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you had in the past. And then you walked away from him because you didn't understand or maybe you got offended and you saw people do certain things. But today for the first time, you're like, I get it. I get what it is that the devil was fighting in my life. And so, Father, we just want to thank you and praise you and honor you as we come to the close of the message. I want to just give an opportunity. If you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see why I need to follow him. I'm going to ask you to do a brave thing and just raise your hand and then put it down again. And then we'll pray. Anybody who's here who's saying, Pastor, just pray for me. I want, to, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be everything God created to me to be. I want to follow the purpose I was created for. No more living little lives, li- living for things that will pass on. I want to live for something with eternal value. I want my life to be everything that I was meant to be, that it was meant to be by God. If you're here, if you just raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you. And then just put it down again. Anybody who's here who's saying, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you so much. I see you, my, my sister at the back. To God be the glory. Anybody else? Just join her and say, Yes, pray for me, Pastor. I want to give my life to Jesus. I know that maybe you've struggled with this thing. Maybe you never knew why you had to. But today, God sent a preacher to tell you why. <laughs> and it's made sense in your mind. And maybe right now you're feeling a sense of resistance. Of I shouldn't do this. But you know, this is how the enemy keeps you from your destiny. This is not about the preacher. It's not about the church. And it's not about doing it, you know, sometimes you think, let me just do it by myself. But that's how the devil cheats you. Because he has no intention for you to ever pray that prayer. But you know, today, today the Bible says is a day of your salvation. Today is the day you become everything God intended you to be. Just raise your hand and join the person who put up their hand already. Anybody else who's ready? Anybody else? Just raise it up boldly. And we'll just pray with you. I just want, I don't want to take it for granted that you're here. And maybe you're even thinking, what will people think of me? Maybe people will think lowly of me. But that's what the devil whispers in our ears. He tries to make us think that we'll be ashamed. Ashamed of who? It is him who is a shame giver. Jesus never came to shame anybody. He is a good God. If you just raise your hand and then put it down again, I will pray for you. Anybody who's here, um, and sorry for stretching the moment, but I just have such a sense of urgency about this because I know, I know this is the best decision that someone here, here could ever make. Anybody else? Bless the Lord. Can we just appreciate that person who raised their hand? And I'm going to do something, and I, don't, I know this is not to embarrass you, sister, but I'd like you to, to actually invite you so I can welcome you to the family personally by giving you a, a hug. Is that okay? Please come up. I'd like to just welcome you to our family because you're joining a family. So just come up. Come up. Come, come, come. Yeah, don't be embarrassed. Uh, this is not about embarrassing, and I'll, and I'll lead you in a prayer. Can we just appreciate her as she comes up? We bless God for you. I'm so grateful you're here today. Welcome to the family. Agatha, I'm so proud of you. Uh, I made this decision when I was a young man as well, and it really changed my life. I want to lead you in praying in front of your family, because this is your family. These are people who love you, and who are so grateful you're part of them. Is that, am I speaking for you? <laughs> They're very excited at the decision you're making. So I'm going to ask you to just say this prayer after me, and I'm going to invite anyone who's made this prayer. It's your prayer as well, that you would say it aloud as well after Agatha. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today to surrender my life to you. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Forgive my sins. Help me to be everything you created me to be. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me the strength to follow you always. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do something really radical. Just put your finger up like this. Just put your finger like this. And all of us are going to say with you Devil, from today, you and me, we are finished. I ask you to leave my family and to live my life. I no longer belong to you. Because I belong to Jesus. I am protected by Jesus. I am a child of God. I am saved. In Jesus name. Amen.